darkest of nights to a world gasping a desert land it came in the hush to a world waiting as a shadow waits it came as a flutter a twilight bird wings breaking the deepest waters the cries of dreams the sighs of souls it came tender in the murmur of the newborn in the ache of the swollen heart it came as a whisper soft on the lips of hillsides
of what Emmanuel is to each of us. You are God with us. You have sent Jesus Christ into this world and you have sent him into our hearts. Father, we know that this light that you have presented to the world, you put in each of us. And we have this responsibility, we have this privilege, we have this honor to give you glory in this world. So God, I ask that you will be with each of our hearts. Soothe us, give us peace, joy, and hope in this season. Help us to be able to see this world as you see this world, in need of a Savior. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Would you guys have a seat? Good morning. For those of you guys who are kind of weird like me, it's a tough month for us, isn't it? Christmas trees everywhere, lights, ornaments, every store is Christmas on steroids. 
plotting to drain your wallet of every last penny, sappy Christmas music. I was online and I actually saw a review of the 15 best Hallmark Christmas movies of 2023. 15 new movies on Christmas. And their list doesn't include classics like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. I mean, come on. And of course, as usual, we Jesus followers are trying to make sure nobody forgets the real reason for Christmas season, right? About the most amazing birth story ever. A virgin birth in a feeding trough. Peasants for parents, filthy shepherds, pagan priests. God stepping into our world. And you see signs and you see bumper stickers and you see cards with the reminder, Jesus is the reason for the season. And in a sense, that's true. And I appreciate the sentiment. Too often our materialism does blind us to deeper truths. I wonder if the commercial, commercialism has sucked you in yet. But maybe there's still a deeper truth. Perhaps in reality, I am the reason for the season. And you are the reason for the season, because we are. Without us, there would be no Christmas story, right? If we weren't such a mess, we wouldn't need a Savior. And if God didn't love us so profoundly anyway, there wouldn't have been an incarnation. Think about the messy people in your life. Maybe, maybe you've got a messed up spouse. He or she is the reason for the season. Maybe you've got an annoying boss or colleague. They're the reason for the season, guys. Your mother-in-law is the reason for the season. Is there anyone in your life that needs Jesus? Aren't they the reason for the season? This morning we're kicking off a little three-week mini-series that we're calling You're the Reason. And I'm going to lead it off this morning by telling the back story of Christmas, the story before the story, the prologue. And then I'm going to preach a second part, which is really short, which will be about the deeper story of Christmas. Here's part one, the backstory of Christmas, the story before the story, which kind of explains the Christmas story. See, the real Christmas story does not start with a bewildered young virgin impregnated by God. It starts thousands of years before that with an old couple who had long given up hope of ever having a child. In fact, to really understand Christmas, you've got to go even further back yet to the very first chapters of Genesis, to the creation story and the fall. You see, we learn from the creation story that we human beings are special. We bear the image of God somehow. We were designed to do life with God somehow. And we learned that we human beings rebelled against God. We rebelled against doing life with God, God's way. And in so doing, we made a mess, a mess we can't fix. And every single one of us is messed up. I'm not just talking about Adam and Eve messing up. All of us are broken, and none of us can fix us. That's what the Bible says, and I've never met the exception. But for some reason, instead of just blowing us off or snuffing us out, our Creator decided to give us a way back because for some crazy reason, He still loves us. For some reason, God treasures us. And so about 4,000 years ago, our Creator God made a deal with a really, really old twit named Abraham. God said to him, go from your country, go from your people, go from your 
father's household to the land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to make, and I'm going to barak you. I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to be a barak. I'm going to barak those who barak you, and whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And all of the peoples on earth will be baraked through you. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Now, can you grasp how epic this story really is? The creator God, the God who made all of this, picks an ordinary old guy and says, I want you to pack up, leave your country, leave your clan, leave your family, leave everything that you lean on and start walking and I'll let you know when you get to the land that I'm giving to you. And when you get there, God says to this no name, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to give you a family. Now you need to understand that Abraham and his wife were both really, really, really old and barren. I'm going to give you kids, God says. And here's the mind-blowing part. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to barak every single human being on earth through you. Can you imagine how ludicrous that would sound to any single one of us? God says you're going to be a nomad for a time, but I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land of your own. Have you been watching the idiots on the news calling the Jews occupiers of Palestine? How can the Jews be occupiers of the land that God gave them 4,000 years ago? Who do you think the occupiers are? And God says to this old guy with a barren old wife, you're going to have kids. Now, you've got to remember, this guy's even older than Vern. I'm telling you. <laughs> and God says everyone, everywhere, for all of time, everyone on earth is going to be blessed through you somehow. What's that even mean? Have you ever been blessed? I get blessed a lot because I sneeze a lot, right? Whenever I sneeze, I always hear someone yelling out from the office, bless you. Now, did you know that way back when, people thought that sneezing actually gave Satan an opportunity to snatch your soul? So people would say, God bless you to kind of protect you. At least that's how some people think it started. I don't think that's what's on the mind of our staff. I think our staff is thinking something else. Others think that during a great plague, a sneeze was a sign that you're getting sick and you're probably going to die, right? And so saying God bless you was kind of a way of saying see you, wouldn't want to be you, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what the twits on our staff here are thinking when they bless me a lot. <laughs> now you also know that that word, that phrase bless you has different meanings. I mean in the in the north, bless you is a pretty sweet thing. May God smile on you. In the south, if someone says bless you, it's more sinister. Have you ever heard someone say bless your heart or bless his heart? Did you know that in the south that means you're really stupid, right? <laughs> he did what? Bless his heart. <laughs> but Genesis was written in Hebrew. And the word for blessing in Hebrew is barak, which can also mean a knee or to kneel. Sometimes we bless God, which means we worship God, we praise God, we honor God, someone who's way greater than we are, kind of like on our knees, right? Sometimes God blesses us, those of us who kneel in his presence. Sometimes God blesses us by giving us something that only he can give us. 
Do you bless God? Have you been blessed by God? As parents, we want to bless our kids if we can. We give them money. We make sure they get an education, give them opportunities in sports. We try to cultivate in them some moral values. We try to nudge them towards faith in God. What do you think is the greatest blessing you can give your child? Do you live that way? And if there really is a big G God, do you think that there is anything more important than securing God's blessing? What if there really is a God? And what if I really am a mess? And what if I can't fix my mess, but he can? Could there conceivably be anything more important than peace with God and the goodwill of God? You know, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Isn't that what it's talking about? I don't think Abraham had a clue about the depth of this promise of God. And I, don't, I, I know that his descendants, the Jews, the Israelites, never grasped the depths of this promise. They were kind of thinking, are we the blessing? They wondered. Is the nation that God is going to give us going to be the way that God is going to bless all the peoples of this earth? They wondered. They figured. And so if you track their story, the story of Abraham's descendants... They didn't look like God's blessing. They didn't act like they were God's blessing in all the people of the world. Did they blow it? Did God blow it? Or were they clueless as to what God was actually planning? Now, I can tell you the story of Abraham's children and grandchildren would never be a Hallmark movie. They were an incredibly dysfunctional family, anything but a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. If you think your family is dysfunctional, if you think God could never use you, you and yours, read the Abraham story. They were hallmark rejects, lifetime rejects. They were a slightly sanitized HBO Game of Thrones family, passing off their wives as their sisters, putting their wives at risk to save their own skins, cheating on each other literally going to war with each other, a group of brothers selling one of their siblings into slavery. No one, it seemed, of Abraham's family was blessed by God, and no one, it seems, on earth was being blessed through this family, even after God gave them their promised land. Eventually, they leave it. They end up as slaves in Egypt until this guy named Moses rescues them from Egypt, leads them through the wilderness for 40 years. Finally, they make it back to their promised land. Great story. But are they a blessing to anybody? Egyptians didn't feel blessed by God when he sent the plagues to force them to free their slaves. Canaanites didn't feel blessed when the Israelites got back to their promised land and started killing them, much less all the other peoples of the earth who couldn't have cared less about what was going on in this remote and insignificant corner of their world. But God kept loving on these cantankerous twits. And, and when God makes a promise, time passed, centuries pass. About 1,000 years after God's promise to Abraham, the promise that God was going to make his descendants into a great nation, Literally a thousand years after that promise, these descendants of Abraham built a nation with a king. But a great nation through which the world would be blessed. Their first two kings, a guy named Saul and a guy named David, they went to war. 
with the nations around them. That's not blessing them. The third king, a guy named Solomon, I suppose he could have been a blessing to at least a few of the nations of earth. Israel was never as rich or as powerful as under Solomon. He was gifted with incredible wisdom, but as smart as Solomon was, he was dumb as a brick. Have you ever met somebody who's really smart and yet dumb as a brick? Just think about our universities. Solomon started marrying the daughters of his neighbors, hundreds of them. And instead of blessing the nations of the earth, Israel became just like the other nations of the earth. How can you bless someone if you're no different than they are? And soon Israel was not even in a position to bless itself. This nation through whom God had promised to bless the world actually broke into a civil war. There was a difference from their civil war and ours. Theirs worked. And now there's a nation of Israel to the north and a nation of Judah to the south, both, both claiming to be the people of Abraham's covenant with God. And both of them dissing the God they said they blessed. Sounds familiar, right? Close to home. We say we're God followers, but we don't live that way. God kept loving on them. And when God makes a promise, even if we can't guess how, Well, even though God kept loving on them, even though God was still determined to keep his promise to Abraham through them, he still punished them for their stubborn refusal to bless him back. Both Israel in the north, Judah in the south, claimed God's favor. Both nations wanted his protection, and both nations kept marginalizing him. So the first to go was the north. God allowed the Assyrians a powerful nation in the north to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And those ten tribes of Abraham disappeared from history forever. They're gone. Century and a half later, God allowed the Babylonians, just a little less ruthless, both of these nations from what is now Iraq, they allowed them to come down and conquer Judah in the south, which means the Jews lost their promised land again for a time. Others became occupiers, and the Babylonians destroyed their holy temple, a symbol of God's presence and protection, and the Babylonians took the best and the brightest of Israel and led them into exile for kind of like a 70-year timeout. So now there's no king. There's no kingdom. There's no temple. No promise. 1,500 years had passed since God made that promise to Abraham. A God, when God promised to land a nation and all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham somehow, would God still love this contrary people? Would God still keep his promises to and through these honorary people? From time to time, God would send a prophet to remind them that God still loved them for some crazy reason. And God would still keep his promise somehow. One of those guys was a guy named Isaiah, who lived about 700 years before Jesus. He said, God the Lord created the heavens, and he stretched them out. No kidding. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. Do you believe that? I do. Isaiah says, it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. 
and you will be a light to the nations, he says. The blessing to all the people on the earth, he says. And he says this, he says, you're going to open the eyes of the blind, you're going to free the captives from prison, you're going to release those who sit in dark dungeons. The problem is the Israelites thought that God was talking about them as a group. They thought they were the light to the nations, that they were the ones who were supposed to be the ones through whom God would bless all the peoples of the earth. They didn't understand that the light was coming to them and through them, but it was not them. Isaiah drops some hints about the one who was coming. He says, look at my servant, the one I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He'll bring justice to all who've been wronged. He'll not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. And how God's Messiah would do those things, how Jesus would do those things, who could have imagined? Who would have guessed a cross? Seventy years later, under the Persians, the Jews are allowed to return to their promised land again. They're still in no position to bless the world. Their economy's in shambles. They had no king, still ruled by outsiders. They rebuilt kind of a temple of sorts, but it was pitiful compared to Solomon's temple. And God's promise to Abraham was now 1,600 years old. How long would you wait for God to keep his promise to you? A prophet named Malachi kept telling him, don't give up hope, guys. Don't quit believing. Don't quit trusting. He's God. God says, my name my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets to all of the peoples of the earth. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says God Almighty. And I expect people struggled to believe, to trust, to hope. God, how? Your name is mocked among the nations. Look at your people. Maybe Zeus will be great among the nations. Maybe Jupiter, but Yahweh? And Malachi keeps telling him, it's God, guys. And when God makes a promise, still, 100 years later, it would be Alexander the Great. Believe it or not, Alexander the Great would come in and overrun Israel. 300 years later, it would be the Romans who would come in and overrun Israel. God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you a family, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to bless the world through you. God had said, it's coming. And they're like, well, when? How? And when the right time finally came, Paul says, when God's time, his set time had fully come, Paul says, when everything was exactly as God wanted it, Paul says, God sent an angel to a peasant girl, a virgin, telling her that she, a descendant of Abraham, would bear God's kid. And through him, God would keep his promise. Maybe God was making a point. God's going to keep his promises, guys, but probably not in the ways that you expect. You've got to keep trusting him, guys, because he's God. 
And his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They kept thinking God's promise was about a nation. They thought God would build a nation, an empire, something like those we build. It was never about a nation like the kind we build. And as the backstory unfolds, nations and empires keep coming and going. Egypt, once strong, now a vassal of Rome. Assyria, long gone. Babylon, a shell of its former self. The Persian Empire had faded. The Greeks were now vassals. The Romans were on top for a moment, but eventually they're going to die as the kingdom of God keeps expanding. In the centuries since, the same. Nations rise and fall. So many of our nations claiming to be God's gift to the world, right? Empires rise and fade. So many of them thinking they were God's light to the nations, God's blessing to all the peoples of the world. None of them were, none of them are, none of them will be. Nations and empires, I suppose, can rule the world for a time. But none of them have the capacity to bless the world the way God wants us blessed. Do you understand that? Nations are useful. But what we need most, no nation can give. You're a mess. I'm a mess. We're messes we can't fix. What we need most is grace. What we need most is peace with God, God's goodwill. So an angel appears to a peasant girl named Mary, a virgin, and he says, you're going to conceive, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Did you know that means God saves? Not nations, God saves. And he's going to be very great, no kidding. In fact, he's going to be called the Son of God. And after Jesus was born, an angel appears to these no-name shepherds, and the angels tell the shepherds this. He says, I'm bringing you good news that's going to bring great joy to all people, all people, all the peoples of the earth for all of time, just like I told Abraham. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. He is God's light to the nations. He is God's light to us. He is God blessing the world. He is God keeping His promises. No kidding. So, have you allowed God to bless you? Have you really? Have you allowed him to bless you in such a fashion that your life has been changed? Enough that it changes the lives of those you do life with. You see, guys, it's not enough to believe in God. It's not enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Have you actually embraced Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? There is nothing that you need more. There is nothing that anybody around you needs more than peace with God and God's goodwill. And that's only found in Jesus. Are you willing to show them the way? Let's pray. For your willingness to keep your promises, we give you thanks. And help us not to choreograph in such a way that we can never see who you really are and what you're really doing. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
Christ comes to this earth, he comes to our hearts, Father. We cannot hold it in. We cannot let us be the only ones that have it. So God, I just ask that you'll convict us and change us right now. So that as we give you glory in these moments here, we are so inspired that we have to go out into the world and give glory to you. Give glory on your behalf to be a light in this world. We were made.
peace. won't take long. I told you the backstory of Christmas, the story before the story, kind of the prologue. There's also a deeper story, a story most people don't see. In fact, most people don't know. Ben Webb, he's got a good friend who teaches New Testament at Ozark Bible College. And this is a picture of the manger scene that he sets up every year. He always puts a dragon in the manger scene on purpose. And occasionally you're going to find other manger scenes with the dragon. Too often we forget about the dragon, which causes us to miss the depth of the story, the immensity of the event, the intensity of the scene. And we get a glimpse of this deeper story of Christmas in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. It's the story of a woman clothed with the sun. It says the moon is under her feet, a crown of stars on her head. She's pregnant, very pregnant, crying in pain as a child passes through her birth canal. I don't think she simply represents Mary, the virgin of Bethlehem. I think she probably represents the people of God, God's faithful, God's bride, through whom and for whom this long-expected Messiah would come. And then it pictures this enormous red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns, a tail that sweeps stars out of the sky, a ferocious creature, enormously powerful and frightfully ominous. And it tells us that the dragon crouches hungrily before the woman, waiting to devour the child as it emerges from her womb. It's an incredible picture. It's an incredible moment. It says that the woman who is clothed in splendor and crying in pain gives birth to a son, a male child, a Christ child, who would rule the nations, every man, every woman, every child on earth with a rod of iron, not with meanness, not with tyranny, but with power, absolute authority. And it says the dragon's designs were thwarted, that the child was snatched up at the last moment to God and to his throne. And it says that the woman, the people of God, us, we flee into the wilderness to a place prepared by God where we would be protected by His hand. And then, almost literally, all hell breaks loose. All-out cosmic war. Michael and his angels go to war with the dragon and his legions, and the angels press forward, and the devils retreat again. And it says that the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the deceiver, Satan, is hurled down from heaven and his legions were thrown down with him. Which, guys, is what Jesus came to do. 
to break Satan's hold over us. And then John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses us before our God day and night has been hurled down. That's the deeper Christmas story. We see a manger, a sweet, innocent young girl giving birth to a fragile, helpless child. We see wise men and shepherds and cattle lowing, whatever that means. Revelation pulls back a veil. It gives us a peek at a spiritual reality behind the scenes of the human picture. It shows us a parallel story with events in heaven that mirror events on earth. And it is not a sweet and sentimental picture. It's an invasion, a great invasion, a raid by God into the stronghold of evil. It is the decisive blow in a cosmic war. And guys, without some sense of that part of the story, then what's pictured on our postcards, our manger scenes, our Christmas carols is sentimental deception. It's pious fantasy. So who do you see lying in a manger? The Bible says that one who is bigger than the universe itself actually passed through the birth canal of a frightened teenager. The Bible says that the only one whose days are numberless drew a first breath. It says that the one who could rattle the heavens with a finger flailed his arms as a young girl rocked him. It says that the one who actually spoke the universe to, into existence with words babbled and cooed. Stunning. Make no mistakes. This is who the Bible says he was. John says the Word, the Word of God became flesh. Right? He became a baby and he dwelt among us. The Bible says that the Word, that baby, was from the very beginning. He was from the time before time. Before anything at all was created, the Word was there. Why? Because this Word was God. John says, John says that everything in our universe, you owe your existence to Him. Without Him, there's nothing. John says that the Word is life itself. We exist physically because of the Word. And we will only exist spiritually through the Word. John tells us that the first Christmas may have been, I think, probably the second most deceptive event in history because he looked like a baby. And he was. He looked fragile and helpless, and he was. Who could have ever known that this peasant girl had borne the long-expected Christ child? Who could have known that there was a dragon looking on anxiously to devour the child? Who could have known that a cosmic war was about to begin in which that dragon would be hurled down from heaven again? And who could have known that the fate of every single man, woman, and child would depend on whether we bend our knees to this baby of Bethlehem, the Word of God. You see, guys, Christmas is about an invasion, about God entering into our world and planting a flag. He stakes a claim on my soul. He stakes a claim on yours. And he gives us a decision to make. Bend your knees, go to war. 
Don't be deceived by the baby in the manger. Don't be deceived by the sweetness and the sentimentality of the story. There is no genuine honor to the baby in a manger unless it comes from a man or a woman on their knees. Blessing God. Barakking our God. And that's how we're blessed by God. That's His blessing. A blessing available to every single man, woman, and child everywhere for all of time. You looking forward to any gifts this Christmas? Have you made your list? Given it to those you hope who will purchase it for you? It's one gift that matters. One gift that matters. We celebrate that gift every Sunday, don't we? God became one of us so we could do life with him forever. He was born as a baby so that he could die on a cross. And God raised him as a glimpse of the life that he offers to all of us if we will bend our knees to this Christ child. Are you in? In a moment, we're going to come to these tables and we're going to partake in the greatest gift we will ever get, the grace of our God. We're going to have an opportunity also to Give your first part back to God. That's what we do when we're Jesus followers and this is your home. It's a generous bucket, white generous bucket. If you've got a dollar or two, you want to drop it in there. We just use that to love on people who are hurting. Let's pray together. For Jesus, we give you thanks. For your grace, we give you thanks. There is no greater gift. There can be no greater gift. Thank you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Welcome.
world waits for a miracle The heart longs for a little bit of hope Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel A child prays for peace on earth And she's calling out from a sea of her own
everybody. I'm Erin Ashcraft, your children's minister here at Cap City, and we are so excited for the Christmas season. There are lots of exciting things going on, and be sure to, uh, don't forget about the nudge that we have this month, uh, blessing your uh, delivery drivers and those folks that come and bring you all of those packages, and also our giving wall. Uh, those are for different partner organizations here in the community, just some different needs that they have, some different ways that you can bless them. So you can grab an ornament on your way out today. But we also have coming up some really exciting Christmas events. And I've got my good friends, Johnelle and Jordan with me today. Are you guys excited about Jingle Jam? Jingle Jam? What is that, like a jam session with Jingle Bells? I got some I can bring. Uh, uh, Jordan, it's, it's our very own family Christmas party. And yes, we are very excited and you should be too. Uh, so, I don't know, Janelle, how would you describe it? Uh, we're the hosts, just so you know. Um, they labeled me as the comic host, and they labeled Janelle as the credible host. <laughs> but I'm, I'm lobbying for a change. I'd like to be the incredible host, if possible. But we'll see. He is very incredible, ladies and gentlemen. He is very incredible. He is, no doubt. So that's going to be Wednesday, um, December 20th. At, uh, we'll have our family meal at 5.30 downstairs. And then all of the fun starts up here at 6.30, and we'll have lots of fun, we'll have games, and these two are hilarious. So, would recommend. Uh, bring some friends, mark that one on the calendar. We also have Journey to Bethlehem coming up on the next three days following that. This is going to be um, an exciting time, a time for you to be a little reflective this season, kind of dig into the the glory and the majesty, but we also do need some help. If you were uh, able to come to our Garden to Grave, you saw uh, what a beautiful event that was, but it took a lot of hands. So if you are able to serve and help us set up this event, we could really use your help. So uh, let somebody know that today, either out of the uh, hub or send an email to info at Cap City and we'll get you plugged in. Um, then of course on Christmas Eve, we'll have regular services at 9.30 and 11. And then we'll have a candlelight prayer service um, here in the sanctuary at, from 6 to 8 p.m. There's not any programming. That's just come, as, come as anytime during that. And um, the room will be open for you and your family to take communion together. And uh, no student service on Christmas Eve. So that's all the stuff coming up. Immediately following service um, in the connections room, we have Getting Started 201. So if you're interested in getting more plugged into this Cap City fam, you can find out more details there. So thank you all, and we've got one more song. But you can leave. That's fine. That turn that back on for me. There you go. You can always leave it if you need to, but we'd love to do another song. So have fun leaving or staying. We'll still do whatever it is that we choose to do, okay? Okay. 